Breaking It Down with Frank McKay. This is 1039 LI News Radio. I'd like to welcome everyone to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with one of the most fascinating interviews I've I've ever done. Uh, we did it a, a, a long while back, and uh, and and I'll tell you, everyone was so blown away by the story. I just said uh, off uh, off the uh, uh, off the mic to this gentleman that if there's not a documentary on his life, I'd like to volunteer to make it. What a career! What a life! Uh, growing up, uh, he he lived in a uh, in a railroad shack uh, for a period of his life with no indoor plumbing and no electricity. And uh, I'll tell you what, he grew up to, to be an actor, a successful actor, a successful businessman, and a congressman. I spent four years in Congress. Uh, ben Jones is our very special guest. Absolutely thrilled to have him. People know him from the Dukes of Hazard as Cooter. Uh, and actually, he has a successful business, Cooters, with uh, his lovely wife, uh, uh, Miss Alma. And, uh, and I've been uh, there. I've been to the one near Gatlinsburg. I think that's Pigeon Forge. And, uh, and, and it's just a, just a great, fun place. Whatever. Ben Jones is our very special guest. Uh, ben, how are you, Congressman? Frank, I, I'm hanging in like Gunga Den, sitting up here in the <laughs> mountains, uh, waiting for the next snow to come up. Uh, I'm just old and sick and sorry these days, uh, but all everything's good. You know, it's uh, my body's gone, but it, my my head uh, is only half gone. So I'm still in, having a good time, enjoying life up here in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And uh, you know, we're sort of safe up here on the high ground. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you in New York City? No, I'm I'm on Long Island. Oh, Long Island. I just I always thought that was one word, you know. <laughs> well, uh, listen. Long Island. I, think think about what I said about the documentary. I can't believe there's not a documentary on your life. Uh, it, it's so it's such an unusual career, and I you know you worked your your butt off to get yourself into college and uh, and, and everything everything that I remember from our first conversation. I, I mean I was I, uh, and I kid you not I'm just blown away by it still, and I'm thrilled to be talking to you here. I mean you you have to look back. You have to be very proud of yourself. Well, I'm, you know, we don't want to take anything for granted, but, uh, you know, I just live it a day at a time. Uh, that most important part of my story is the fact that I was a falling down, uh, dead, awful, um, almost dead alcoholic until I quit. I found sobriety when I was uh, had just turned 36 years old, but in the 20 years or so before that, I spent, I was just insanely alcoholic although I accomplished a lot did a lot of acting, did a lot of other things was involved in a lot of good stuff uh, that addiction was there and that disease which as they say runs in families had me and my life has changed extraordinarily there is, I wrote up um, an autobiography some years ago, a memoir called Redneck Boy in the Promised Land which uh uh, was published and uh, main, you know mainstream publisher and all that stuff, but a, a movie I don't know and I'm not sure anybody would believe it. I never, you know, a lot of stuff has happened. I've been involved in a lot of things and sometimes, uh, you know, I can't believe a lot of that stuff happened. But uh, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other and trying to do the next right thing. A lot of good stuff has happened and. Uh, 
Uh, just turned 80, and I'm still performing every week uh, at, at our, you mentioned Cooters. Now, Cooter became a permanent nickname for me because, you know, when the Dukes of Hazard was on the air, there were only three major networks. There wasn't, the cable was just starting up. There were no satellite dishes. There was no, none of that, no streaming, no, not 200 choices on, on your TV, but just three major networks in public television. But, uh, and so on, on Friday nights, CBS would routinely get 40 million people that's in the United States, not to mention the rest of the world. Forty million people would watch the Dukes of Hazzard every Saturday night, and then the kids would go to bed and they'd watch Dallas. So those nowadays a huge, big rating is to get ten or twelve million people to a primetime show. But that was where you know practically everybody in the country made that a ritual, uh, um, and particularly in the heartland of America, it's still beloved. It's still going strong. So, um, you know, that was that was uh, some great years there. I, I went from there into I was asked to run for Congress and and thought, well, that's that's an absurd thing. I said, y'all don't know. I said, I got more bones in my closet than the Smithsonian <laughs> Institute. You know? I said, well, no, 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 go ahead. You, you know, maybe you can. You, you're, the fact that you, you got through that could be a good uh, story. So I ran and. Uh, uh, got elected and reelected and then redistricted and then butted heads with uh, Newt Gingrich and people like that for a while. But then I just went back to show business and having fun. What I discovered, though, is that the Dukes of Hazard had not gone away, that it was beloved. And that with cable runs and, you know, satellite showings and uh the um, v- DVDs and VHS, and then uh, it's just, and, and with international showings, it's just become a permanent part of Americana. It has not gone anywhere. And uh, that that's a wonderful thing to find out that your work for some, you know, that our show is, you know, terribly criticized as, you know, uh, what it wasn't. What it was was this this nice little family show about a family where, you know, the good guys, like the old B. Westerns that I grew up on in the 40s, you know, the good guys always win because they make the right moral choice and they'll risk their neck in any situation. And there's no profanity and there's no blood. I mean, you have mock violence and comic violence, but nobody gets hurt. You can flip over in a tractor-trailer truck, lands on top of you, and you just brush yourself off and say, let's go. So, and people get that. You know, they get that it's a fantasy. But it was wholesome entertainment with uh, great action. Uh, uh, you know, good guys always win, and they always make the right moral choice. And, uh, you know, great music and, and Daisy Duke. What and, and What's not to like? So... It, that's why it's still around, and it's popular all over the world. And uh, I discovered, oh, after my political career, I went back to L.A. and did some movies. And uh, then I said, oh, it's time for me to move up to the Blue Ridge Mountains. So Alma and I came out here about 23 years ago, 24 years ago, and started a whole new life. And this Dukes of Hazard thing I discovered hadn't gone away, so I started this place called Cooters. And it's just a fun place with uh, 
you know, apple cider and peanuts and moon pies and RC colas and stuff from the show, and it took off, it, and it's still taking off. I mean, we've done events uh, up here in the mountains where, you know, we had 20, 30,000 people show up. Uh, and I, I think it's, well, this is just going to go away next week, but now I've come to believe that it's, it's going to outlast all of us. And that's a good thing. You're not kidding. And let me remind folks that are just tuning in a little late or turning on their radio a little late. Frank McKay here, much more importantly, Congressman Ben Jones, and I, I believe it was uh, 89 to 93, if I have that right. Uh, yeah, yeah, a couple of terms there. Yeah, a couple of terms. And uh, what a career this man has had. What a life he has had. And Cooters is terrific. I'll, I'll vouch for that personally. It's terrific. It's fun. It's deli- The stuff is delicious there and uh, all, all kinds of uh, just good stuff. And, again, I went to Pigeon Falls um, uh, outside Pigeon Forge. Yeah, Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We also have a store in Nashville right across from the Grand Ole Opry. And we have one here in Virginia uh, in Page County, Lou Ray, Virginia, where the famous Lou Ray Caverns are. They're the biggest caverns in the east. And it's beautiful, Shenandoah Valley, Blue Ridge Mountains. It's just lovely country. And uh, we have a big store there, and that's where I perform every Saturday with Cooter's Garage Band. And, uh, you know, we just, we've just we been touring for 20 years. And uh, <laughs> it doesn't go away. I mean, so... You know, if, if 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 you're in show business and and can keep it going till you're 80 and people still show up, you know that's as good as it gets, as far as I'm concerned. And I've, I've discovered when I was 60 years old that I could carry a tune and front a band and have fun with it. So uh, I'm just lucky. You know, that I think of uh, Lou Gehrig. You know, you're a baseball guy. You know, yep. uh, we were talking about before this about how Freddie Freeman is that Lou Gehrig kind of guy. You know, that, that everybody looks up to, even his opponents. You know, yep. that's, that man's a decent human being. Uh, I don't know where I was leading with well, that. <laughs> well, l- let me let me jump in. Yeah, but Freddie Freeman. By the way, I've never. I know a lot of people who know him. I've I've never met Freddie. I've, I have a lot of mutual friends with Freddie, and everyone raves about him. You know, you talk about the 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 uh, the semblance of of class, and um, and someone who's respected by universally by everyone. Freddie Freeman is uh, is is one of those people uh, for sure. But one thing, and and you touched on it, most people aren't Freddie Freeman. Most people aren't that squeaky clean guy. You and me both. I mean, we grew up and, and you talk about bones in your closet and, and, and you talk about it and, and it's not a bad thing like they told you when they were, you were going to run for Congress. Uh, you, people learn from this. You learned from this. If you can, let, let's get a little bit of your history and, and let's start from the beginning. I mean, did you think uh, when you were when you were living in a house with, uh, with a shack, really, uh, with no no indoor plumbing, no electricity. Uh, what were you thinking was going to happen when you grew up? What was your anticipation? Uh, well, I'm not sure I had one. I had dreams, and, and there were things that we loved to do, but it was an interesting, great, fascinating place to grow up. And I think that experience, more than anything else, has uh, influenced me and made me who I am. We didn't have much. It was a, a railroad, what they call a section house. It was like a mill house, a company house that they built by the tracks. But where we were, where I grew up, was by a 
freight yard on the docks of Portsmouth, Virginia, which is there with Norfolk and Portsmouth in that area, Hampton Roads, is the biggest naval base in the world. And uh, I was right there in the middle of it. And it's World War II. You know, it's a, for my first memories. I was born a, a couple of months before Pearl Harbor. So my first memories. And we're in a war zone. I mean, we're right on the docks, and the biggest ships in the world are coming in and out. And troop trains are coming in and out. And I can hear from where our place is across the water the playing of taps at the Naval Hospital. Would that sound would drift across the water? So we were at war. I can remember blackouts, you know, where the whole area would just black out everything. And my father would go out to his railroad job. And we'd sit there, you know, in the, listening to a battery radio. And the, the glow of the dial was the only light in the place with the shades pulled down. Those things affected me. Uh, and it, it was a great place to grow up because of the enormous history in that area. It's just by Jamestown and uh, Williamsburg and Yorktown. And uh, this, half of the battles of the Civil War took place in Virginia. Mm-hmm. So it, we were steeped in that history was also, we were the only white folks on that side of the tracks. Uh, It was a black community, an African-American community called Sugar Hill. And I had to cross the railroad yard to go to the white, quote-unquote, white school. And uh, so all of those things had an enormous influence on me. Uh, My father was a railroad man and a hard-drinking railroad man. And my, my mother's family was also railroad people. And, it, 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 you know, it was, a, it was an interesting time, I remember, when we got electricity. A great story, because my mama uh, was always entering contests. We didn't have a whole lot of dough, and the old man was bad to drink, so there was half of it went there. So she would, she would enter these contests on the radio, and she'd always win. I mean, nine out of ten of them, she would win. And that was back, you know, very little television. But all the radio stations had, you know, gimmicks like that. Uh, you know, name the mystery voice or, or where's the... <laughs> well, anyhow, she, so she went, she won. There was a, a, a syndicated radio show, a network radio show, I guess, called Double or Nothing. And uh, it was out of Hollywood, and, and they had a local contest. If you, if you won the local contest... They would fly you to Hollywood to be on the show. And my mother won that. Here we are in this shack with no electricity, no indoor plumbing, just old outhouses and things. And uh, she's flying off to Hollywood, and everybody on the railroad was listening to her on the show. And uh, the host said, I've forgotten his name now, but the host said, Oh, well, Mrs. Jones, if you should win the big jackpot, what would you, what would you want? And she said, Well, I really wish we had some electricity there at our house. That's where I'd, what I'd like to. So and she knew also that everybody on the railroad was listening to her on this <laughs> national radio show. Yeah. So about the time she got back home, they were running a line from the railroad yard up to the house. Oh, and that's how, how we got electricity on Sugar Hill. 
But wow. uh, so it was an interesting place. Behind us was, uh, you know, the waters from the Chesapeake Bay come in there, the Elizabeth River, and we lived on those tidal waters, and there's fishing and crabbing and oysters, and very fertile ground in front of us, railroad property, but all the railroad men, everybody had a garden in those days because they'd just gone through the Depression. So I mean, that we had, we, we raised everything, cotton, corn, uh, peanuts and all kinds of vegetables. So uh, there was a little bit of that there, you know, agricultural part of it. But I just, you know, it was a unique way to grow up. And I was always, and my mother particularly, always encouraged the creative part of me. And uh, so I just, you know, rolled out into the world as this raging, you know, 17-year-old alcoholic uh writer, actor, singer, uh, and that took it a day at a time from there, ended up, by, by, once again, by a sheer gift of the Lord uh, at one of the best universities in the country. Uh, I, th- I still think that way, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. I just wrote him a letter and said, I'm interested in, in, in writing and radio and television. On the basis of the letter, they, they accepted me to this great school, and so I've had all those blessings. But also, it went along with, um, as we, as they say in recovery, one drink is too many and a thousand isn't enough. Alcoholism is a genetic disease, and it ran in my family, and I got it big time. But it's also a disease of denial. The addict denies that any problem that there's any problem there. The addict would insist, "Oh, I can take it or leave it." I just like it, that's all. So, you know, uh, when I turned 36, I hit bottom, and uh, after 20 years of real hard drinking, I'd been through at that point, I think, three marriages and divorces, and uh, Lord only knows how many jailings and fist fights and blackouts. But uh, I was dying on the floor, and I knew it, and I woke up, and uh, I was under this wicker couch. It was all dusty and spiders under there. And I didn't know if it was hallucinating or not. But anyhow, I just said, I really meant it. I said, please, Lord, help me. And that was in 19, September of 1977. This year will be 45 years of sobriety. So, you know, I, I believe in God, man. <laughs> that was a miracle. That's the only thing I did different. And I hung on to that and uh, still hang on to that as a as a very basic daily part of my life. So I'm just like, you know, what was it that said that? I'd rather be lucky than good? I don't know. But it's, I've been lucky and good, sort of. It might have been Dizzy Dean who said. Uh, well, Dizzy, you know I did a, a one-man play about Dizzy Dean okay. called Old Diz. Yeah, I did it. I uh, even worked up a musical version of it. I did it in Nashville with a great songwriter friend of mine. And went, but I also did it down in his, his, home, his home. I did it at the Hall of Fame twice, the Baseball Hall of Fame. Cooper's Yeah, yeah the old is. And uh, really got into him. I'd seen a play. I was in L.A. Uh, maybe this was in the late 90s, maybe. I was back out there doing movies and things. And I went in this. I saw this play, a, a guy who did a show about, um, why can't I think of his name all of a sudden, the great uh, uh, New York Giants pitcher, uh, Hall of Famer from the 
teens and twenties was no, yeah. Uh, not Walter Johnson. No, I use no, no, no. Walter Johnson. Senator. He was a senator's yeah. guy. This guy, who's the greatest pitcher ever? I mean, the, the kid. Christy uh, Matheson. Uh, Christy Matheson. That's cl- that's the man. Yes, yeah. Christy Matheson. Exactly. And it was a pretty good show about Christy Matheson. But I thought, well, it was all right. But somebody ought to do one about Dizzy Dean. And I thought, duh. <laughs> Why not you? You're an actor. You know all about Dizzy Dean. You're a baseball. So I went down to the old bookstore and found a actually ran across a book, and uh, then started you know really got into it and and I just love that character and uh, Dizzy Dean, a great man. But I don't think he's the one that said I'd rather be lucky than no. Good. It might have been Will Rogers and and kind of Dizzy Dean was like the Will Rogers of baseball and in, in some yeah. weird way. And uh, it, listen before. Uh, before we forget, let me remind everyone who's just tuning in late. Uh, ben Jones is the voice you're hearing. You you knew him as an actor. Uh, so many people love him as Cooter on the Dukes of Hazard, but a lot of people don't know uh, if they didn't follow closely. Uh, he he became a congressman, and uh, I think '88 he was elected, and he served from '89 uh, to '93. And and just uh, it, uh, really, what a career this man has had! What a life he's had! Frank McKay here. Uh, so much more importantly, Congressman Ben Jones is our very special guest. And uh, if you stepped away, let me remind everyone, you're listening to Breaking It Down. Frank McKay here with Ben Jones, a former actor, congressman, still acting, still performing uh, every week. And he's an entrepreneur extraordinaire. Cooters uh, is just a, an amazing place. And uh, and he's uh, he's named it after his character. And, and uh, why not? Uh, Frank McKay here once again. Ben Jones, uh, you, you were talking about Dizzy Dean before we took took a quick break there. Uh, and Dizzy Dean, I, I said was kind of like the the Will Rogers of um, of baseball. He was right. He had a lot of uh, you know uh, little little funny sayings, uh, almost like yeah. Yogi Berra before Yogi Berra. Yeah, but I, yeah, I know he, he, and he had of course a, 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 a an announcing career after that as a sportscaster. Yep. Uh, using that same, you know, character. Well, it wasn't a character. He was just the way he was, and he enjoyed being the way he was. A great story about, let me slide this one in, 1934 World Series. Uh, the Cardinals won that series against the Detroit Tigers. It was a great series. And uh, Dizzy and his brother Paul won four games uh, of that the, the, and the series. But Dizzy also hit a little bit, and he hit a, hit a ball, and uh, tried to stretch it into a double. Uh, no, that wasn't the case. He was on first, tries to steal second. Uh, Mickey Cochran's behind the plate, I think, and uh, throws a, a strike down to second base, and it hit Dizzy right in the head, knocked him cold. As he said, knocked me colder than a tater. Well, they haul, he's, the boys hauled me off the field, and took, they sent me to the hospital, and the next day, the headlines on the newspaper said, uh, X-rays of Dean's head reveal nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a great great character, great fun playing him, too, on stage. Uh, I I toured that around for a couple of years. Did you get that on tape? Did Did you videotape that? I might have. Yeah, yeah, there's an old tape of it. Not much to it, but... uh, you know, of the one-man show, and we turned it into a musical and, and with a great songwriters from Nashville. 
and we did it down there. It was pretty good, but it's hard to get a, a show like that up in the air, you know, in New York. That's where it all, you know, that's where the the rules are made about what's going to be, you know, go places and show and, and theater. Uh, and my wife used to work for the Schubert organization uh, for many years. And uh, anyhow, I love New York and the theater. But that's a whole other story. Let's talk politics, yeah. man. Yeah, well, uh, listen, uh, what I, I know they, they kind of recruited you, right? They recruited you. They had, you had a name. You had popularity. You were off of a popular show. Uh, but what was it that finally convinced you to, to do it? I mean, did you think it was going to be enjoyable? Did you think you were going to make a difference? What was, the, uh, what was the key words that they said to you that made you think, you know what? You know, this is, uh, this is something I can do. Well, I was at, I had just done the, the Dukes of Hazzard. I did have a lot of popularity. I had been appointed to the chair of the film board for, you know, for recruiting films to come into Georgia. And uh, it helped uh, the governor get elected. So they were saying, why don't you, uh, uh, you know, do, do run for Congress? And I said, well, uh, because I've got more bones in my closet than the Smithsonian Institute. I said, you know believe it. And they said, well, you know, that might work in your favor. And it turned out. So I did it. I didn't have anything to figure. I didn't have anything to lose. And uh, I was running against it. The reason they were recruiting is because nobody else was going to run against the incumbent. Uh, but, but I got, you know, so I ran against him and just almost beat him and uh, kept running against him. He got into serious trouble, uh, very serious uh ethics problem and um it was going to court and and i won in a landslide and and then you know but it was because of his problems and then i was targeted because they thought my election was a fluke and i won the re-election and then was redistricted and that was pretty much it for me in elective politics and i just went back to doing what i do which is pretty much nothing acting and writing you know you know so I've had, just had the greatest life, and uh, now our businesses, we've got these three stores, and we just do a great. We've had, we've had people at our stores, Dukes of Hazard fans, from over 30 countries around the world who know the show in different languages, who love it. The show doesn't grow old. It, it just, you know, you watch it, and it's... It's clean. I mean, uh, you know, every, the whole family can watch it together, and there's great action, slapstick comedy, Daisy Duke, and, you know, always the good guys win. Oh, I guess it's, it's a very – it's kind of like this, the movies when I was a kid, and this was before television, and it wasn't, which wouldn't matter because we didn't have electricity. But we go see the Saturday matinees, uh, Roy Rogers and Gene Autry and Hopalong Cassidy and – those characters, and were, this is what the Dukes of Hazard was—a clean show. Nobody really got hurt. There's no profanity. The good guys win. There's good music. There's always a pretty rancher's daughter, and great action. And and the uh, the heroes of those things, Gene Autry and, and Roy Rogers and the rest—they were, you know, really hero. You looked up to them. There was not—we knew that when we were kids. I want to be like Gene Autry. I want to be like Roy Rogers. They're good guys. So the moral teachings were there, and they, you know, that's a pretty cool thing. So the Dukes of Hazard was that with great music and incredible action and great fun. So 
uh, more fun than Congress, actually. <laughs> well, hey, let me let me jump in. I'm going to remind folks uh, who they're listening to. Ben Jones is uh, is is a man of many talents, uh, businessman. Everything he does, he seems to do very very well. And um, uh, recovering uh, a- alcoholic. I mean, the 46 years, right? Uh, which is a huge accomplishment. You talk about the. Uh, the uh, the accomplishments in life, uh, recovery is a tremendous, um, uh, you know, overlooked uh, accomplishment from so many people. And um, you know, Ben Jones is uh, is someone who uh, who I think will attest to that. Um, former congressman, former well, current actor. He's still uh, Stone Quackers, by the way, uh, was something I I watched a few years ago, and I thought it was so underrated. And and I think there was only like twelve or thirteen episodes or something like that, and 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 you had some involvement with that too. Again, Frank McKay. Here. What was it? What, what did you mention? Was it Stone Quackers? Was it? Didn't you have involvement in that? The uh, no, ca- the Stone. cartoon. No, no. Uh, no. Was that another Ben Jones? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I, uh, you know, I was kind of like it. Joe Smith. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Stone Crackers. I would have remembered that. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> So hey, good. Well, I'm glad uh, and back in the I day, I the... was a back in the day, I was a stoned cracker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you caught me before, because I got a I got a whole bunch I could talk about with that show. Yeah, I I always watched it as it's it's quick. It was quick, but I always watched it as if as if you made it, and I kind of watched it because of that. I, let me let me ask you about a couple of a couple of things here, and and uh, you know I talked to John Schneider quite a bit. He's on the show quite a bit, and and he does his his own thing, and I mean li- he literally does his own thing. He gets his own distribution, and he writes his own movies. He does his own uh, you know uh, directing and acting and and everything else, and uh, and he, and he does it away from Hollywood. It's uh, it's it's kind of a it's a very independent way. Of, right. of living life, and I, I always applaud him um, for uh, for that. And uh, you, you know, here you are, another star of that that show. You've done it on your own terms too, and uh, you know, even your business model. I don't know if you modeled it on on anything, but it's unique. Cooters is a unique situation, and to me, it's an independent. It's like a truly independent. Um, uh, entity, and I, I don't even know what to compare it to, to be honest with you. Uh, there's something about the independence of that show. Um, you know, you keep ma- uh, mentioning um, uh, Daisy Dukes, too. I mean, you know, think about it. That that became the Daisy Dukes um, shorts, became a, right. you know, I mean, everyone knows what Daisy Dukes are now. I mean, right. you take Daisy Dukes to a to a 15-year-old, they'll say, oh, I know what 15 Yeah, yeah, got my Daisy yeah, but they never no. I've never seen anybody that looked better in them than the Catherine Box. Never, you know, incredible. <laughs> yeah, she's incredible. Yeah, she. Uh, yeah, a, a, a miracle of nature. We all get together. Our our store here. I've, I've, my travel is limited now. I've had so many yeah. bone operations, backs and hips and knees and this and that. And I'm eighty, so uh, you know I don't jump the fences quite like I used to. <laughs> so we have a store here in Luray. Which is huge, uh, and we—it's a music venue. It's a car venue. We have a, a car museum. We have a wonderful Dukes of Hazard shop, and we have a theater in there. And we do music every Saturday and Sunday, and I perform every Saturday. And people come from all over the world. We do festivals, and, and it's hard. We did a, a festival in Nashville, Tennessee. 
in 2006, which drew over 100,000 people over two days. And uh, that's, you know, 20 years after the show went off the air. Now almost 40 years, 40 years, whatever it is, but the show did not go away. Those things become permanent, just like baseball. We're talking about Dizzy Dean. You know, I mean, <laughs> we will talk about Lou Gehrig. Those things are permanent parts of Americana, and that's a good thing. And yet our show has been attacked because of the flag on top of the General Lee car. And, um, you know, that's a fight that I've been deeply involved in. Uh, as you know, to try to explain, you know, I'm a descendant from a not only am I con- descended from uh, men who fought for the Confederacy, but I'm also defended, uh, descended from a, a black who was who was free, a slave who was freed in the in the about a, uh, 1700 and on the eastern shore of Virginia, and one of those Confederate soldiers was descended from him from the so the South is complicated. And my political, where I got into politics was I was a college student in the 60s. I'd grown up on the black side of the tracks with strict segregation and Jim Crow. And I went out and sat in and I marched and I demonstrated for civil rights and got busted and went to jail and all of those things that we did. But we changed America. We did. We changed America. And for the better. And I fear that all those hard-won, hard-won victories are in jeopardy now, as I, the country's coming apart. You know, Frank, it's just yeah. coming apart, and there's no middle ground. So, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know what what the answer is other than spiritual. And that's that, that's always been a good one because that's where whatever develops is going to have to come from that. Uh, those instincts from the, the best within us, and it's not happening right now because there's no middle ground, there's no, and there's anger, and um, you know, I don't know where we go from here. Yeah. I, I can't remember a time like that. Even the '60s, people were out in the streets fighting, even tearing down, burning stuff. But there was still a middle ground where people could re- get together and sit and compromise. Come, let us reason together. And that's not happening now. No, I, so. You're hitting the nail on the, on the head. I say it all the time that th- there were gray areas. I, I have four children, you know, and uh, and my wife and I uh, taught them growing up that there were gray areas, right? Mm-hmm. To, to think that everything is black and white, and I'm not ta- talking color or race here, but to think that, you know, either something's good or something's bad. Uh, is, is a very short-sighted uh, way of, of seeing the world. I mean, uh, there are gray areas. There are things that uh, that uh, have happened in uh, in this world that uh, uh, that ha- are, are hard to explain. You said the uh, uh, the South is a very complicated um, area. It is, and there's it's so much different even now today than than the north and and you know california and and uh, what uh, new york is and for us to think that everyone should just believe one way because uh, uh, because that's what we were taught or that's what's politically correct i mean it's it, it's it's wrong i mean people have their own belief systems and uh, you know for us look, look i i we we're talking baseball here i i'm a yankee fan Right, and I have friends that are Red Sox fans. I don't dislike those people because they're Red Sox fans. I I, I, I see them for what they are, and I you know they cheer for a different team. So I'm an independent. 
but there are are Republicans that I'm friendly with, and there are conservatives, and there are Democrats, and there are liberals that I'm friendly with. I, I just I take their belief system for for what they are and who they are. I don't try to change them. I know I'm not going to change them. Frank McKay here, so much more importantly, Congressman Ben Jones, former congressman, uh, actor, singer, performer, writer. Um, a businessman, uh, Cooters. He's the owner of Cooters, and Cooters, the name came from the Dukes of Hazard. What a life this man has had. I uh, grew up in a, in a section house, the railroad, which is just a whole story in itself. Um, no indoor plumbing or electricity. His mom was uh, um, a heroic figure in my eyes. And, uh, and, and she just um, amazing. But uh, Ben Jones, once again is our very special guest. Uh, what about what I just said there? I mean, uh, about there being gray areas. Uh, is there is, is there any way to, uh, you know, wave a magic wand? Or would you, if you could, wave a magic wand and get people to think that way? Well, I would if I could. But, but I think the problem is the, uh, the divide in the nation is driven by very large and influential, influential and moneyed interests. We have a situation where the, the Democratic Party seems to have been co-opted, um, I don't know, by, uh, by the media. I mean, when 90 percent of the media is clearly against the Republican candidate, as we saw you know, with Trump, who was such a, a lightning rod for that, and, but, it, but it, it passed reason. It was just uh, uh, an insanity there's no middle ground, uh, and there's a genuine hatred for him, uh, and a genuine, genuine affection for him too from those who support it. And we had a 50-50 election. We'll never know uh, how what the exact perfect, clear results of that election were. So we're hung here. Trump doesn't want to go off stage. Uh, our, our current president is clearly. Okay, let's see. I might as well go ahead and say it. She appears to be suffering from a serious case of uh, dementia. Mm. He, he wanders around, and he doesn't seem to know where he is or what he's supposed And that's a real thing that, that can't be hidden. So we're in trouble in this country, and it's real. And um, I, 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 I would pray that a, a, not a centrist thing necessarily, but a, a, a third option which, which – uh, is able to bridge those gaps and pull the the nation back from the precipice, you know, and say, listen, what can we agree on here? Uh, and you look at the Congress, and there's no agreement. They're not going to agree on anything. And it's kind of not just to dislike and distrust each other. There seems to be a genuine hatred there. So it's gone off the rails. And uh, I sit out here in the country and in one of the prettiest places in the world, and I can say that. I can't do much about it except express opinions, but that's what I see. Uh, obviously, a, a, a third party has always been a good idea, but the, the funding, we're talking about you know gigantic and very, very deep purses and pockets behind these, these parties. So... Uh, you know, and they and ninety percent of the media uh, is 
not only in their editorials, but in, now in their what is supposed to be straight journalism, is is got their hand on the scales. So, what do we do? I don't know. I don't know if I would. I would always. You always like Ted Turner because he was a, he was an independent guy. So I'll just start a, a, a television network and I'll have this, this satellite. And I'll just beam from. He had this little UHF station in Atlanta. I said, a great character. He said, I'll just beam the my thing out there from this little station it'll go all over the world he was right <laughs> he changed it but he was one guy and there was nothing uh he didn't think he could do i mean what a uh he's, he's getting on now i was, I was in Congress. i'll tell you a quick story i was in congress and there was some kind of broadcasting bill coming up and i said ted turner's on the schedule so he's going to come in my office and he comes he comes in and i knew it slightly uh he comes in he was then married to jane fonda and she sits down, and there's Jane Fonda. Like, oh, Jane Fonda. And, and Ted starts talking about how he's battling these huge forces in New York and the NBC and those people, and they're all tipping the scales against. And he actually gets down on his knees and starts, you were there, Benny. You remember, who, you remember Channel 17. You were there when I managed the break. You were there. And I, yeah, and, and he's on the floor, and he's just like he, and, and I look up, and, and Jane Fun is looking like she wants to slide under the chair. <laughs> but he was a believer, man, and, uh, you know, he, he he was a great character. We need people like that. But what he did change, you know, like CNN. He changed the world, yeah. actually. I mean, Yes, he, he did. He, yeah. he certainly did. And um, then he bought Montana and a whole <laughs> lot of buffalo. Bison. Anyhow, I'll tell you, man, it... Uh, I am concerned, more concerned than ever, but I don't. And because I can't see, you know, the the, the uh, there was a great uh, there was a great book called oh, Andy Young, my friend, uh, who now you know was mayor of Atlanta and uh, yeah. United Nations ambassador and congressman and Dr. King's right hand man. He wrote a he wrote a book about called A Way Out of No Way Out. And it requires people coming to the same conclusions that we're all starting to come to. Mm. And that's, we need to change something, and it's something big. And, um, you know, so that's, that's, that's the power that the big media has it. Yeah. You know, if, if, they, if they could break themselves away and see the problem, because I feel like the media, particularly the big news outlets, they help create this stuff. It's just like it's just like a western. You got to have bad guys and good guys, and they do that on the news and uh, and particularly on their opinion shows. So there we go. Yeah, you're you're right on. I'll, I'll tell you, we we need a part two with you and uh, and and to just to discuss this if you ever if you ever get the. Uh, get the time to spend a little more time with us. It would just be great. Unfortunately, oh, anytime. Yeah. Anytime. I'm an old guy just sitting out here in the country reading, writing, and listening to music, singing my songs and all that, and uh, kick back, and I, I love to talk, as you can tell. So you are, You're terrific at it, and what, what a career, what a life. Ben Jones, uh, congratulations on everything, and Congressman, thank you very much for being here. Frank, thank you. Always a great interview, and I look forward to our next chat. Take it easy and keep it between the ditches, yeah. and watch out for those Boston Red Sox. Yeah. <laughs> ben, ben Jones has been our very special guest. You know him. 
as uh, as Cooter. If you're a uh, if you're a fan of the Dukes of Hazard, uh, you'll know him there. But he's what what a career, what a life this man has had. There should be a documentary. And I, I can't believe there's not actually. I mean, uh, fascinating. Uh, he he grew up and uh, again, no no indoor plumbing, no uh, no electricity. Lived in a section house on the railroad. Both of his parents, um, you know, came from uh, that background of the railroad, and uh, him too. What a career! Grew up, um, uh, succeeded in uh, in the entertainment business, and then he went on to four years in Congress. What a life! What a career! And and again, Cooters is uh, uh, is nothing to look past either. It's it's just a tremendous business. Every everything that I, I look at about this man, it's uh, nothing but the greatest respect for him. Recovering alcoholic, and uh, and and proudly uh, 46 years and counting. Frank McKay signing off. Ben Jones has been our very special guest. We'll see you all next time on Breaking It Down.